Psalm chapter 23. This is God's word. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Uh, before we begin, I'm going to say a short word of prayer, and then we can get right on the way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, open our ears that we may hear, open our eyes that we may see, open our hearts that we may believe. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, John Gray is, or previously was, I should say, the professor for European thought at the London School of Economics, and he wrote a book called The Silence of Animals. John Gray is an atheist, and is a very specific type of atheist. As a matter of fact, it's in the title. He's an atheist who thinks that we should exercise atheism almost the way animals exercise atheism. What does that mean? Animals don't concern themselves with progress and other modern myths. Animals aren't trying to develop some uh, sophisticated ethical system. Animals just are. They act on instinct, they live on inst instinct, and that's about it. And so he says, the reason for all our problems really in modern society is because we're captivated by these modern myths. And one of those modern myths that he addresses in his book is the myth of self-realization and personal fulfillment. He says that in the modern Western society, we have been captivated by not only discovering who we are, but doing everything in our power to realize our potential, to figure out our story and to make it the best possible story in the world, to see our lives as a play and to make it the best possible play, our lives as a poem, and it has to be the best possible poem, because if it's not, then who are we? He says, as a matter of fact, what that does for us is that it shows us our finitude, our limitedness, because the more we try to control, the more we try to create for ourselves this vision of our lives, the more we realize just how little control we actually have, the more we realize how frail we are, the more we realize how subject to the whims of the world, the more we realize that actually we can't control and create our lives the way we would like to. Now, I mentioned John Gray in his book, The Silence of Animals, because implicit in Psalm 23 is this problem. We aren't in control. We aren't in as much control as we think we are. And Psalm 23 is read so often for this very reason. There's a reason why Psalm 23 is read at the bedside when someone is facing terminal illness. There's a reason why we read Psalm 23 at funerals, even weddings. Because in the face of life, when we find that we are not in as much control as we think we are, when we realize that there are monsters out there far bigger than us, there is darkness that is far bigger than us, we need to turn to a shepherd who is bigger than even those things, a shepherd who is bigger than the evil, a shepherd who is bigger than the illness that we are faced, a shepherd who is bigger than death itself. 
in Psalm 23 presents that shepherd to us, a shepherd for all of life. In the face of despair and darkness, even the face of those moments of absolute joy that we are being led by a shepherd who is bigger than life itself. And Psalm 23 will show us why we need a shepherd who is before us in life, beside us in darkness, and behind us in loving pursuit, because that shepherd is a shepherd for all of life. So the first point, a shepherd, the shepherd is before us in life. Verse 1 of Psalm 23 reads, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Now, it's a very popular statement. I'm sure for all of us, even if you're not a Christian, you've, you've probably heard that line somewhere. But the word shepherd implies something, doesn't it? If the Lord is my shepherd, what does that make me? It makes me a sheep. Now, I don't know about you. I'm not a zoologist, but I know that sheep aren't the most attractive or desirable animals in the world. If I got to pick my animal spirit, probably be a panther. A, a sheep? I mean, they don't have much intelligence. If, if you take a sheep to a, 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 great, a green land and you put it over to the, to the left-hand side to eat some grass, it will carry on eating the grass on the left side. But then once the grass finishes, it will just stay there and carry on eating the dirt. The shepherd has to take it to the right side, to another side. Otherwise, it will just starve. It doesn't have enough intelligence to pick out what is good for itself. And you've, you've seen these uh, movies where a wild horse is, is being captive, and when it's led out into the wild, its mane flows as the sun sets across the beach because the wild horse has this kind of like free spirit. If you let a sheep just go, what's going to happen? It's going to run around in circles until it gets dizzy. It's going to fall on its side. It won't even be able to get back up because it's incredibly needy. So David is telling us that the Lord is my shepherd means that we are sheep and we are incredibly needy, incredibly dependent, almost like a newborn. We are in need of everything to be given to us from someone outside. And yet David can say, the Lord is my shepherd and I'm a sheep and yet I shall not want. Now the word want is just old English for lack. And David is saying, I will not lack. The shepherd gives me everything I need, provides for all my needs. And yet while we see that statement and we can appreciate the depth of it, it's far from our experience. As a matter of fact, I think our experience is marked by a type of internal condition of lack, that our lives are almost driven by acute awareness of what we do not have. There's a financial coach and management expert, uh, Lynn Twist, who has a book called The Soul of Money. Now, she's trying to give financial advice to people. But she says something that I found so interesting because it speaks to just the human condition. She writes this, for me and for many of us, our first waking thoughts of the day is, I didn't get enough sleep. The next one is, I don't have enough time. Whether true or not, that thought of not enough occurs to us automatically before we even think to question or examine it. Before we even sit up in bed, before our feet touch the floor, we're already inadequate already behind, already losing, already lacking something. And by the time we go to bed at night, our minds are racing with a list of what we didn't get or didn't get done that day. Now, isn't that just the human condition? An internal condition of lack, how I am already inadequate, already lacking something, already not enough, already behind. In some respects, this is probably even the first Sin, Adam and Eve. 
When the serpent presents the fruit which God has said, do not eat, you can eat everything else, but the one fruit of this tree do not eat. The serpent says to them, hey, you're lacking something. I know God has given you everything else, but until you have this one fruit, you are not enough. You're inadequate. You are already lacking something. It's the first sin, and in some ways it continues to be the very sin that drives through our hearts. How much of our decisions are driven by the internal lack we feel? My degree isn't good enough, so I need to get a master's. Where I live isn't good enough, so I need to find another location. I don't think my spouse is the best possible person I could have gotten for myself, so I need to go outside of my marriage and look for someone else. How much of our decisions are driven by an internal condition of lack? And yet David says, in the face of that internal condition of lack, there is a shepherd who is bigger than all those things I didn't get, those things I didn't get done that day. Now that provision that David is speaking about is broken down for us in verse 2 and 3. David says that I will not lack because the good shepherd makes me lie down in green pastures leads me beside the waters, restores my soul, and leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Now, this is speaking about an in, a, a holistic provision. Lie down in green pastures speaks of rest and peace. To lead me beside the waters speaks of refreshment. To restore my soul speaks of healing and restoration. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake, speaks of direction and guidance. This is holistic. In all of my life, when I'm in distress, I find restoration. When I'm lacking and irritated, I find refreshment because the good shepherd is before me, before us in life. That is the shepherd who's bigger than anything that we might face, even our internal condition of lack. But not only is the shepherd before us in life, the shepherd is beside us in darkness. In verse four, we read, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, this valley isn't just some alleyway in a weird street on a weird corner that you walk through for five minutes and you're kind of uncomfortable. It's a very narrow path surrounded by really high hills. So not only is it dark and scary, but the hills are perfect places for predators to hide. I can, as a, as a wolf, I can hide at the top of a hill and be able to see all the little sheep walking about. I can prime myself to make sure that I get them at the very moment of weakness. And he says that the valley of the shadow of death, that the presence of the greatest enemy, death, is surrounding him. As a matter of fact, that's, this shadow of death isn't just external, as a sheep might fear if they are walking around and they see the wolves and the predators that want to get them. It's also internal. Notice at the very end of verse 4, it says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, the rod and the staff were two instruments used by shepherds to protect sheep. The rod is for external danger. If a wolf is coming and approaching, the shepherd can use the rod to hit them and um, remove them away. But the staff is also to protect the sheep from itself. If a sheep is going astray, the staff can be used to bring the sheep back in. If it's stuck in a ditch, the, sheep, the, the, the shepherd would use the staff to bring the sheep back up. So the comfort that David speaks of in the rod and the staff is both external danger from the valley where the predators hide, but also internal danger 
Because sometimes the truth is, our greatest enemy isn't out there. Our greatest enemy is in here. That our own hearts lead us astray. Our own hearts have darkness inside of them. And so the shadow of death, the valley is an external experience of darkness that pervades this world, but it's also internal within us. And yet David says, in the face of external darkness, in the face of internal danger, I will fear no evil, whether it's outside of me or inside of me, for you are with me. That because you are present beside me, I have no need to fear. I remember watching uh, one of my favorite TV shows, one of my favorite characters, DC uh, character, The Flash. They made a TV show based on The Flash. And so watching The Flash, there's a, a scene where Flash, uh, Barry, his name is Barry, where Barry uh, thinks back to his childhood and he's in his bedroom, sitting down uh, with his mom by his side as his mom reads him a bedtime story before going to sleep. His mom finishes the story, gets up, turns off the light. The minute his mom turns off the light, Barry grabs his mom and says, no, don't leave. My mom's like, what's the matter, Barry? And Barry says, I'm, I'm scared. I'm scared of the monsters under my bed. I'm scared. I don't want you to leave. And so Barry's mom sits down, still in the dark, sits down beside Barry and says, Barry, can you hear my voice? And Barry says, yes. I says, well, are you scared? It's like, no. It's like, why aren't you scared? Because, because you're beside me. And then Barry's mom uh, takes off her hand and says, Barry, can you feel me now? And Barry says, no. It's like, but are you still scared? And Barry says, oh, no, I'm not scared. Why? Because you're with me. And then Barry's mom says, in just beautiful, dramatic eloquence, even if you can't feel me, and even if you can't hear my voice, even if you can't see me in the darkness, I will always be beside you, Barry. And with that, the cello starts to play. Barry's mom walks away and the scene closes and you're just left thinking, wow, what a reassuring mother that Barry can be saved because Barry's mom is always present with him. Now, I was moved by that scene, but let's just clarify one thing. The minute Barry's mom left that room, Barry's mom was not with him. If monsters really did come out under the bed, Barry would be alone. And yet we have a shepherd even more real than Barry's mom that isn't bound by physical presence because he's given us his spirit. Jesus Christ says in the Gospel of John that I am leaving you now, speaking to the disciples, but I am giving you my spirit. And so truly, I am always with you. Even when you can't hear my voice, even when you can't feel my presence, even when you can't see my face, I am always beside you. As a matter of fact, this is one of the unique features of Christianity, that the God who is out there, the transcendent, all-powerful God, is also beside us, not just in the incarnation when Jesus Christ entered our world, but in giving us his spirit, remains beside us always. Uh, there's a Christian rapper by the name of Trip Lee, who in one of his songs, he, he says, uh, in this life I know that I will suffer, but that will only make me tougher. Death is just the doorway to take me to my faithful lover. The lover of my soul is with me, so you can shake me, brother, but you'll never knock me down or take me under. Bring the thunder. The shepherd of my soul is with me. And so Trip Lee can say, even death, death itself has become a doorway to my faithful lover. Nothing can disturb my soul and nothing ultimately can consume me because even the valley of the shadow of death is the doorway to take me to my faithful lover. And there's a wonderful picture of this in Psalm 66. We read, 
Bless our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard, who has kept our soul among the living and has not let our feet slip. For you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. You brought us into the net. You laid a crushing burden on our backs. You let men ride over our heads. We went through fire and through water. Yet you have brought us out to a place of abundance. We went through fire and through water. We went through the valley of the shadow of death. And yet you have brought us, because you are present with us, out to a place of abundance. This is the promise of the shepherd who is beside us in darkness. That even in the fire and even in the water and even in the valley of the shadow of death, he's present and will take us out to a place of abundance. But not only is the shepherd before us in life and beside us in darkness, the good shepherd is also behind us in love and pursuit. In verse 6, we read, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Now that word surely is almost speaking of an indisputable truth. This is not a point to be argued. This is true. And it's undeniable. What is undeniable? That goodness and mercy shall follow me. Now the word follow really isn't even that strong. It's not just like a stalker who walks behind you and you're wondering, are they following me? But it's almost like a chase, a hunting down, a pursuit. That goodness and mercy will hunt me down and pursue me. And a wonderful picture of this is in Luke 15 when Jesus Christ is given a parable. He says that there was a shepherd who had a hundred sheep and one ran away and ran astray. And the shepherd leaves the 99 and chases after the one, hunts them down, follows them, not just to put up with another sheep, but because there is delight in the sheep. The sheep is, his own, is the shepherd's treasure. And so goodness chases after the sheep to bring that sheep back into the fold. Mercy chases after the sheep to bring the sheep back into the fold. One of the first instances where we ever see the word shepherd applied to God is in Genesis 48, when Jacob is blessing his children. He recounts and thinks back to his life. And as Jacob is blessing Joseph, he says, the God before whom my fathers, Abraham and Isaac, walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil. Bless the boys. The God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day. Now that's interesting for Jacob to say because Jacob's life, if you know anything about Jacob, was marked by a chasing. His, word, his name literally means conniver and grabber. And if it's not stealing the blessing from Esau, it's trying to steal um, extra sheep from Laban, his uncle. It's a constant chase in trying to pursue the blessing, looking for affirmation from his dad, looking for affirmation from his mom, looking for affirmation from his wives, from uh, his uncle, chasing the blessing. And when Jacob stops to look back at his life, as he comes to the close of his life, he says, as a matter of fact, I have been trying to lead myself in this life and chase the blessing, but the blessing has been chasing me all along. The God who has been my shepherd has been before me and beside me and behind me, pursuing me and chasing me. It reminds me of a uh, book by Margaret Brown um, entitled Runaway Bunny. It's a very short children's book. And there are two characters, Baby Bunny and Mummy Bunny. Baby Bunny says to Mummy Bunny, Mummy Bunny, I'm going to run away from you. And Mummy Bunny says, that's fine. If you run away from me, I'm going to chase after you. Baby Bunny says, well, if you're going to run after me, then I'm going to become a rock high on a mountain and hide away from you. And Mummy Bunny says, if you become a rock, I'll become a climber and climb up to get you. 
The Rebani says, if you become a climber to get me, then I'll become a boat and sail away from you. Maribani says, if you become a boat, then I'll become the wind that blows you where I want you to go. Everybody says, that's fine. If you become the wind that blows me where you want me to go, then I will become, uh, I forgot the last part. <laughs> um, he, he carries on, I'll just say he carries on changing himself and morphing himself, saying, I, I, will, I will run away from you. Either way, Mummy Bunny says, I will continue to pursue you. And yet we have a Mummy Bunny like that, who will continue to pursue us, whether we're the rock on the mountain or the boat that's trying to sail away, that we have a shepherd who will pursue us. And I don't know what you think about when you think about God pursuing you. Do you think about an angry God? A judgmental God who wants to strike you down because God is sick and tired of you? Or do you think of a loving God? A God who is eager to give you goodness and mercy all the days of your life? Which God do you think about when you think about God chasing you down? David says that the God that chases us, the shepherd for all of our life that pursues us, is a God who wants to give us goodness and mercy. And how can we know that? Because the shepherd became a sheep. It's a famous passage in Isaiah 53, which reads, he was oppressed, speaking of Jesus Christ, the good shepherd. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its sharers is silent. So he opened not his mouth. The good shepherd was so committed to us that he became a sheep led to the slaughter for us. Jesus Christ on the cross cried out to his father and heard nothing in response. So that when we cry out to our father, we can always trust that he hears us and will meet our need. Jesus Christ was cast away so that we as sheep, no matter how much we try to run away from the good shepherd, will always be brought back to the fold. The shepherd became a sheep that was led to the slaughter, bore our burdens, bore our internal condition of lack, bore our shame, so that we may have a shepherd for all of life. A shepherd before us in this life, beside us in our darkness, and behind us in loving pursuit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we recognize that in this life, so much of our experience, so much of what we see is marked by not only an internal condition of lack, but deep darkness and pain and grief. And yet we find a promise in Psalm 23 that says, even in the deepest darkness, there is a good shepherd who is beside us, walking beside us, walking before us, pursuing beside, behind us. We ask that that good shepherd, that Jesus Christ, would be more real to us now than ever before, and that our lives moving forward be transformed and marked by a realization that we have a shepherd for all of life. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.